Here. Put this on the fireplace. I've been toying with the idea of what should I speak about. There's so many topics to speak about. 
And then finally, as I finished my rounds, chanting my rounds, I came to a realization that I should speak about the Shemad Bhagavan today, because today is the second last day of what we call the five most important days of, uh, of uh, uh, Kartik, of, of Dhammadharmas, the month of Dhammadharma. In these five days, there's a special fast that devotees go through for cleansing. It's not, uh, uh, it's not compulsory that we do that, but a lot of devotees do. And um, today is the fourth night of that five-day fast, and tomorrow is the last day of it. Uh, tomorrow is called Bhishma Panchak. Don't worry about the names. So those of you who find the names uh, uh, foreign to you. So. The Srimad Bhagavatam is actually a compilation of the conclusions of the Vedas. The Vedas are books of knowledge that describe the total creation. Basically anything and everything that happened in creation is described in the Vedas. It describes the history, the geography, the biology, the chemistry, the physics. You name any subject that is known to mankind and add more to them all of them are contained in the Srimad Bhagavatam, in conclusion form like that. There are presently 18,000 verses. The original Bhagavatam, when it was written, had one billion verses in it. And because this is Kali Yuga, it is the age of quarrel and hypocrisy. So when we quarrel, and we quarrel a lot, and there's a lot of hypocrisy, <coughs> one of the effects that it has on the brain is that it causes the brain to mute. And so the brain doesn't work very well. It works at a very low capacity. And scientifically also, the scientists agree with that. They feel that the brain works at around 7 to 8% of its capacity. What, what's full capacity, it just works at 7 or 8%. And if it does work at 7 8%, then it's doing better than a, uh, what we call a, uh, what are those computers that are called mega computers? Quantum. Huh? Quantum. Quantum computers, yeah, the very large ones, you know, where they uh, mainframe, the mainframe computers, yeah, the very large ones where they have the supercomputers, I think they call them. They like can do so many calculations in a moment, you know, like that. That's um, there's a competition going on between the U.S. and China about that, you know, who has the more powerful computer, like that. And these computers are linked to one another, and you know, the whole the very large rooms filled with just computers. <laughs> and all they're doing is calculations. And yet, the human brain can, can exceed their speed and their complexity and everything <coughs> if it just used 7 to 8% of its brain power. Imagine if it used 100% of its brain power, what would happen, right? So, the Srimad Bhagavatam uh, is the conclusion of all of the Vedas. The final truths are brought into the, uh, into the Srimad Bhagavatam. And fortunately for us, it's been brought down to 18,000 verses. Thank you very much. So, you know, that's as easy as it's going to get. <laughs> Out of one billion verses, to bring it down to 18,000 verses itself is quite a summary, if you think about it. Uh, and, uh, and so, this Srimad Bhagavatam was further researched by some very powerful personalities who lived about 500 years ago amongst whom one of the most powerful personalities, his name was Sanatana Goswami. He happened to be the, the senior most of all of the six personalities. We know them as the six Goswamis. The word Goswami means one who has fully controlled his, uh, 
senses. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a lady, her senses, like that. Complete control. And when we talk about senses, uh, we don't just talk about the physical senses, but we talk about the, uh, the uh, um, subtle senses as well, which includes the mind, the intelligence, and the ego. I mean, these are very hard to control. Just the physical senses are very hard to control. We just speak of the mind, and then to control the intelligence, and then the ego. The ego is the hardest. If you see the, uh, the cosmic geography of this creation, you'll see that there's a layer of ego that surrounds the material universe that's something like uh, 400 trillion miles across in its breadth. And it's a layer that goes all around the universe. So it keeps the universe trapped in false ego. It's amazing how it works. And we draw our false ego from there, by the way. So we have unlimited supply of false ego. <laughs> to try and control all this is just, just an amazing, amazing task. So, um, and just as Rosie sang very nicely, and all of us here, all of you here, uh, sang along with her, um, this is called the Maha Mantra, the, uh, the great mantra for deliverance. Um, and it is the most important sound vibration in creation. Everything runs in this world by sound vibration. Everything. It's all about sound vibration. Even the Bible starts off in the beginning, there was the, the word, the word was God. Uh, all scriptures agree that it is sound vibration that is the most powerful thing in creation. And in future, weapons will be made with sound vibration. The nuclear weapons are already sound vibration weapons. Um, and they're the most powerful, there will be more, even more powerful sound vibration weapons that will be created in the future that can not just destroy one planet, but multiple planets at the same time. It's amazing how powerful sound vibration is. At the same time, as sound vibration can destroy, it can also make, it can also have things happen that are amazing. And so this, these 18,000 verses can be um, then brought down to just one verse in the Srimad Bhagavatam. And in Sanskrit, that is called the Paribhasa Sutra, meaning the verse, the seed verse from which all the other verses actually emanate. The one verse that describes the whole Srimad Bhagavatam, which itself is a conclusion of the Vedas, which contain amongst them, currently on this planet, only 6% of the Vedas are available. And that 6% has more than 100 billion verses in it. What to speak of the rest of the 94%. Uh, you can imagine how vast the knowledge of the Vedas are. Then to bring them down to 18,000 verses itself is quite a task. And then to bring it down to one verse to describe everything in creation. There's a verse in here that describes, that says, Bhagavan that Amongst all of the varieties of energy, all of the varieties of reality, the supreme truth, etc., the most powerful truth is that Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, the original supreme personality of Godhead. Now, why would this matter? What, what's the big deal if Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead? The big deal about it is that everyone, every one of us and everything in the spiritual world and here emanates from Krishna. Everything emanates from Krishna. It's the origin. So if you really want to know anything, you have to go back to the origin, because the origin explains what happened after that and why things happened. Say, for example, you want to learn about a calf, then you go and study a cow, because the calf came from the cow. So now you'll know a lot about the calf, even before the calf has finished its life. As soon as it's born, you can tell a lot about the calf, because if you study the cow, 
and you know what the cow is, depending on which uh, you know gender the calf is. Uh, is the male calf also called a calf? Not quite sure. It's also called a calf, right? Doesn't matter Yeah. So generally, we talk about the cow because the cow is considered like the big contributor to the family of the cow, the calf, and the and the bull. Uh, so, uh, uh, in the same way, if we want to understand ourselves and what is it that we can do in our lives that will truly make us happy eternally, in a way that is way beyond um, our wildest or most ecstatic dreams, like that. Then, if we study Krishna, then we will understand a lot about ourselves. So, the Srimad Bhagavatam, in every verse, has one advice, and that is that we should actually attach ourselves to Krishna, and that the easiest way to attach ourselves to Krishna in this age of quarrel and hypocrisy, which is the most difficult age in creation, there are four ages. Um, the first age is called the, um, uh, the uh, Golden Age, then the second age is called the Silver Age, the third is the Copper Age, and the fourth one is the Iron Age, and the Iron Age is described as an age of quarrel and hypocrisy, the most difficult age. In this difficult age, even though it is next to impossible to do the greatest things in creation, it is possible if we do chant the holy names of the Lord, because the holy names of the Lord are non-different from the Lord himself. You know, just like if we, if I say, you know, um, cell phone, cell phone, you know, smartphone, smartphone, that won't make a smartphone appear and start working. Because the name smartphone and the smartphone are different. Just by saying smartphone doesn't mean that a smartphone will, uh, spoof, you know, appear from the uh, thin air and it's in my hands and now I can operate it perfectly. But in Krishna's case, in the case of the holy name, that's exactly what happens. When we chant Krishna's name, Krishna is with us at that time. And being with us, what he does is, he, the effect of him is that he creates amazing, amazing results. And so what these six personalities gave Goswamis did was, they did some research, and based on that research, um, I wanted to describe to you the advantages of reading the Srimad Bhagavatam uh, every day. If we did this every day, amazing, amazing things will happen in our lives. And so I'm going to describe the advantages, and then what I'm going to do is have any one of you read from this, turn to any page and read from it, and then we'll see what that page did for us. Any page, random any page. And there are like this 18, if I'm not wrong, 18 volumes like this. So I just asked uh, one of our devotees, uh, Dr. Jason, to bring me any one. And he said this one was the one that was shining the most, so he worked this one. <laughs> so I just got a random uh, them. And from that random Bhagavatam, I'll ask one of you, preferably who's never read the Srimad Bhagavatam, just pick any page, just turn to any page, and just read one page, okay? But before you read that one page, I want to describe the, uh, the, the research uh, results that they came out with when you do read the Srimad Bhagavatam, and we apply this knowledge in our life. Even if you don't apply it, just read it. What benefits we actually get from reading the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam? So I'm not going to read. What happened was in earlier days when people would write things, they would write them in stanzas, you know, it'd be poetry. Today uh, we're a lot more fallen people. We can hardly speak the language, but just people put it in poetry, you know. Even the language is broken today. I mean, you know, you sometimes you read even newspaper. I was just reading the news today, and Reuters had a headline, and the headline had incorrect grammar on it. 
you know, the headline had incorrect. And it's Reuters. Reuters writes every day so much news, right? And they have like the best spell checkers and the best, they have automatic spell checkers, first of all. And after the automatic spell checker, they have layers of editors who actually check, check the language out just to make sure that it's actually correct. <coughs> and yet they had a mistake on it, you know? So it shows what, how, how fallen we've become. But in those times, it was, uh, they, they would write in, in, in poetry. I'm not going to read the poetry, I'm just going to read the translation part of it because that way it will save some time. So it starts off by saying that of the many scriptures, uh, there are like an ocean of scriptures out there, right? Just the Vedas itself is an ocean of scriptures. Like I said, 100 billion verses, and, you know, and that's an ocean. I mean, when are we going to finish reading 100 billion verses in this lifetime? A whole lifetime won't be enough. That's why the process is said to be a multi-lifetime process. But there are ways to speed it up, fortunately. When Prabhupada came to the West, he showed us a method that would speed it up so that we can do it in 30 to 40 years. Well, some of us don't have 30 to 40 years because we started a little later. So the Lord knows that, and the Lord adjusts. But for the younger ones, he describes stay steady because steadiness is considered the best quality amongst all the qualities in spirituality. Because it's just like even in, 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 uh, uh, in this world, when we say somebody truly loved someone. When I was younger, they used to say that so-and-so is going steady with the other person. Do you remember that? Some of you are too young to remember that. Sure. <laughs> the older ones remember that, right? That's how they used to say it, and that was going steady, meaning that they really love one another. You see? You can see how it all comes back to the Supreme Lord, right? It ties back to the Supreme Lord. And that's the quality he appreciates the most. So he says, all the, uh, uh, the ocean of scriptures that are available, there is one fruit that is considered the singular fruit, and that fruit is the Shemad Bhagavatam. Described, this is the singular fruit of an ocean of scriptures. And it's actually described as, just like in this world, one of the things everybody loves is wealth, right? It's said to be money is the honey, like we say. You know? uh, and so in wealth, one of the things that that, that contains a lot of wealth is our gems, right? Actually, I can show you some gems that, you know, I don't have them right now, I have friends do. But I can show you gems that are really tiny, really tiny, like really, really small, you know, but worth a million dollars, you know? A million dollars in cash won't come in this amount of space, right? It'll leave much more space than that to have a million dollars of cash. And people think cash is the most valuable thing, right? Because things may lose value, Actually, cash loses value too, but you know, people hide cash underneath their mattresses and things like that, some bury them so that nobody else will find them. <coughs> but there are gems that are so powerful, and by the way, we don't have the most powerful gems yet discovered on this planet. Actually, recently, maybe about two or three months ago, they discovered some diamonds at the cr in the crust of this planet, some five miles underground, you know, they're closer to the crust. They found some diamonds that they felt. They felt one diamond was worth more than all the other diamonds put together in value. That's how beautiful that diamond was. And they still haven't gone to the core yet. They're only estimating what's happening at the core. They've not yet been able to scientifically reach the core of this planet. And there's lots of gems below the, that level as well. But some of the gems that we already know, they're so beautiful. So if you take a, 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 a mine of precious gems, a full mine of precious gems, that's what the Shemad Bhagavatam is. 
It's as you read it, you're only going to become very wealthy and in every way a very powerful person. It's amazing. Now that's not its purpose. Its purpose is not to give us material wealth because there's some wealth that is something that is more powerful than material wealth and that is spiritual wealth because that's who we really are. We're the spirit soul, right? So the wealth of the soul is more important than the wealth of the body. Just like the wealth of my body is worth more than the wealth of this cardigan that I'm wearing. Because the body is worth more than the cloth that I put over the body. So similarly, the soul is worth more than the body that's put over the, over the soul. Like that. So then the research continues to say that it is actually, if you can think of all the, this, this powerful mine of gems, you know, as conclusive truths, then the Bhagavatam contains all of those conclusive truths. And is the only giver, according to that scripture, according to their research, is the only giver of light to this world. That without the light of the Bhagavatam, you're really not seeing reality, what we call, as it is. You know, if you read our Bhagavad Gita, it says Bhagavad Gita, as it is. Meaning, seeing something as it really is, as opposed to some type of a, uh, interpretation that's given on the Vedas, like that. And then, it says that the second part of the research shows that this Bhagavatam is actually the life heir of the Supreme Lord's devotees. Now the devotees are the ones who are studying the Lord. The greatest thing anybody can do is to study the Lord. Because if you study the Lord and associate with the Lord, that's when we raise our consciousness to the highest level and actually enjoy a much greater lifestyle, a much happier lifestyle, etc. Like that, right? So it is described that the life heir is the Srimad Bhagavatam. This is why the encouragement is given, please read it every day because it's going to make you come alive. It really will make you come alive. You'll think to yourself, wow, this is not possible. I'm reading every day and now my life is sort of coming back again and I'm, I'm feeling great again, you know, I'm feeling good again. The thing is that we do know this and then sometimes what we do is read and then we slack off and don't read. It's a little like, you know, I like to breathe and I slack off and I stop breathing. Then what's going to happen when you stop breathing? Yeah, you're going to be in trouble, right? You're going to choke and everything will happen and you'll think, well, life sucks. But life doesn't suck, just breathe. If you breathe, you'll be fine, you know what I mean? But you know, life sucks. If you don't breathe, it's going to suck. So in the same way, the Srimad Bhagavatam is the same thing. If you don't breathe it, life is going to suck. It's just that we're very brave people and we like to smile in the midst of adversity. We put up a brave smile and we let people know, I'm okay, everything's fine. But everything's not fine and we know that. There are moments when we realize that and we think to ourselves, oh my God, I can commit suicide anytime. I can become depressed anytime. Anything can start going wrong and we start spiraling downwards. And at that time, if we don't have someone we can turn to, it gets very hard, it gets very tough. And people have given up their lives. You know? And they overdose themselves and do all sorts of things. So here it says that, that this is the life giver. And then it says, that this is the sun that has risen in the, in the dark age of Kali Yuga, of this Iron Age. This Iron Age is considered a very dark age, and it's the sun that has arisen. And then it says that, the research says, that this Bhagavatam is actually the exact image of Krishna, the origin of everything, the origin of everyone, that the Srimad Bhagavatam is the origin. Now, when I ask one of you to read this randomly, you'll see it come out. It's amazing. You can pick any page. This uh, them is considered like sugarcane. Any of you eaten sugarcane, by the way? Yeah. No matter where you bite it, it's sweet. 
Sugarcane, wherever you bite it, it's going to be sweet. <laughs> and that's the same truth about the Shema Bhagavad You can read from anywhere. Random pick any page, read, you'll find it's sweet. It's something that really, really helps. And then the third part of the verse talks about, third stanza talks about, that this Bhagavad is very blissful to read. When you read it, you feel bliss. And that every syllable pours down a flood of prema. Now, prema means love. Love is the most powerful thing in creation. Nothing can defeat true love, and true love can defeat anything. People want to be loved. In fact, it is the one thing that causes us to do everything in our lives. No matter what we do, we're really doing it because we want to be loved. Why? Because in love, one feels the greatest happiness, which is ultimately what everybody is doing anything for. Whatever we're doing, you're sitting here because you think it's going to make you happy. You see? Right now, somebody's chugging some beer down their throat because they think that's going to make them happy. Now, right now, somebody's slitting somebody's throat because they think that's what's going to make them happy. It's amazing what people think is going to make them happy. You know, you'd never think that something will make them happy, but, you know, there you go. There's a person who feels that's going to make them happy. Like that, right? So, this is the one that actually gives the real happiness. You know, the other ways are temporary, may give you happiness for a little while. What happens after that? A lot of pain, right? Because if you slit somebody's throat, then sooner or later, you're going to be running foul of the law, and as a result, you may get incarcerated, and then you might suffer for a very long period of time, right? And if you escape human law, then the Lord's law is that if you take somebody's life, you have to live a thousand lifetimes times the number of hair that they had on their body and suffer. Well, that's a long time. Try and count how much hair you have on your body. Just count how much of your hair you have between this part and this part of your hand. Literally, just try it out one day. You'll find there are like hundreds and thousands of hair just right from here to here. What to speak, what do you have in your head and everywhere else that you have hair? Now you multiply that number by 10,000. That's the number of lifetimes you'll have to suffer for taking somebody's life. I mean, that's an amazing price to pay. I'd rather suffer whatever that person's causing me <coughs> than to do that to that person. You see what I'm saying? So here, uh, um, uh, it says that every syllable, now, a syllable, like, say, for example, I just said, ete, chamsa, kala, pumsa. Ete means there are two syllables in there, e and te. Chamsa means two more syllables. Every syllable pours down a flood of real love. Just one syllable causes so much flood. So when you read the whole page, can you imagine how many syllables you're reading? How much love is being cast upon you? Now, you might think, with all that love cast upon me, why don't I feel it? The answer is because we're conditioned so much from the past, all the suffering of the past, that layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of suffering have formed over our consciousness. Those layers need to be washed away. And so, as you keep reading, the washing away happens, and then you start feeling it. Because you start sensing it. Wow, something good's happening here. And by the way, this doesn't cause you to change your religion, your religious faith, or anything. The Bhagavatam has nothing to do with that. The Bhagavatam understands there is only one God. It's not true to say there are many gods. Now, there are many gods who are the manifestation of that one God. That is true. But ultimately, there is only one God. Like that. And the Bhagavatam understands that all of us are connected, whether we believe it or don't believe it, whether somebody, uh, you know, uh, recognizes it or doesn't recognize it. The truth is, Every one of us, every living entity, what to speak of human beings, every living entity is intimately related to Krishna. See? And so, 
because we're intimately related, uh, uh, we will feel the love of Krishna because that's where the love actually emanates from. So then it says that he, he, that, that Bhagavatam, by reading this Bhagavatam, this can be done by anyone. It says by everyone. Meaning every person can read this. There's no requirement that you have to have a qualification to read this. No qualification required. In our history, there are people who read this Bhagavatam upside down, meaning that, you know, there's no idea. They, they couldn't read. They were they illiterate. But they held it, and they were reading it. And they were getting some pleasure out of it. Because they're getting some realization. The Bhagavatam giving the realization even before they read it. It is said for the self-realized soul, simply their glance or their gestures can give knowledge. They don't have to say anything for knowledge to emanate. It's amazing. And then in the next verse, uh, uh, it's a very, very nice verse. This is a, one, one, a verse that's really a great favorite of mine. We all want friends in our lives. If you have the Bhagavatam as your best friend, then all the other friends will appear. This is the, the original friend. When the original friend appears, all the others come alongside. Just like, you know, some of us like to have a million dollars, or you know, hundred thousand dollars, or ten thousand dollars, even a thousand dollars. They say the average American, I think, latest figure is they have two hundred dollars cash liquidity. That's <coughs> much as they have. That's the average. Now, of course, most of them are so rich. You take them out of the equation. The rest of them probably have very little in their pockets, little cash, you know. But we may say, for example, aspire to have a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars, million dollars. But a person who is a trillionaire has many, many billions of these in their in their possession. You get the idea. So the original friend is like that. It's like having trillion good friends with you, where you have the original friend with you. The Srimad Bhagavatam considers the original friend. And how many times in our lives we feel alone, we feel lonely, right? It's a very big problem on this planet. So many people suffer from loneliness. You know? So here's the best friend. If we have this best friend, the other friends will all appear as a result of this best friend. Because he's such a powerful friend. And then they said, the research found that the Srimad Bhagavatam was also the best companion. Because a friend is not always a companion. Right? Companion is somebody who's like a little more intimate, soulmate, or somebody like that. And people are always looking for who is my soulmate, where's my soulmate? They're searching for their soulmate, right? So here comes the constant companion, Srimad Bhagavatam. And then because the scriptures advise that if you want to if you want to uh, raise yourself in spiritual life, raise your consciousness in spiritual life, then one should have a spiritual master. Because the spiritual master could be a, a, a male or female person. Uh, the spiritual master, because he or she has succeeded on the path, can show us how to succeed on the path. Okay? And so it's described that Srimad Bhagavatam is again the best spiritual master. You couldn't ask for a better spiritual master. And a lot of people don't want a personal spiritual master. Right? Because the spiritual master may point out some defect in me. I don't like anybody pointing out defects in me. I don't want anybody saying anything bad about me. You know, I want people to say good things about me. So when you have a book, the book doesn't have sort of an ego, right? A person has an ego. So when you're talking to a person, you might have a problem agreeing with what that person is saying because people all have egos and the egos clash. But in the case of the book, the book doesn't have an ego. So when you read from the book, you feel good about it. 
you feel thank you for telling me this. Because now I can make myself better. I can do better as a result. Right? Yeah. So it's described that the Shimad Bhaktam is the best spiritual master. And then it also describes, because obviously this is the age of quarrel and hypocrisy, Iron Age. Wealth is the most important thing. The Shimad Bhaktam is described as the greatest wealth that anybody can have. The most valuable thing that anybody can have. And then further on goes to say, my savior. Now savior happens when we are real we are really in trouble, right? When you're really in trouble and you need I need help right now, man. I mean I, this is like say for example, imagine you know uh, some policeman got a hold of you and said, Well, I'm sorry, but you're gonna have to go to jail. And you think to yourself, Oh my god, that's the last place on the planet I'd like to go. And you know, you're thinking, who can help me out here? Who can help me out here so I don't have to go to jail? Or if I go to jail, then you know somebody will call in and then bail me out of there so I don't have to sit in jail, right? So it's like a savior, right? Imagine if you're drowning and you know you want somebody to save you and someone comes and pulls you out of the water. That's your savior, like that. So the Srimad Bhagavatam is described as our savior because truly in this world we are going to suffer many uh, unpleasant situations. Continues to say, my good fortune, because wealth and fortune are two different things, right? Wealth in some ways is fortune, but fortune is wider than wealth. It's greater than wealth, like that. Different ways we can have fortune. We can have fortune by wealth, but we can also have fortune by fame, or fortune by health, you know, like that. Wisdom, like that, it's a healthy, wealthy life. Association. Association, yeah. It's the most, most powerful fortune that one can have is association. In fact, it says that in our scriptures that in Kaliuga, power will lie in association. And then, uh, uh, says, my source of ecstasy, so here you come down again to that word, uh, happiness. You know, these, everybody's looking for happiness. And the greatest happiness is called ecstasy, or bliss. And this is the source. So if you want to go straight to the source, you know, this is the source. This is the original ocean of all ecstasy. That's what the Shemad Bhagavad And then the, in the final verse, the, uh, the, uh, the, um, the research comes out by saying that in this age of Kali Yuga, in this age of quality hypocrisy, we're not going to be very saintly persons. Actually, actually we're going to be quite unsaintly. <laughs> Our nature is going to be very unsaintly. And this Shemad bestows saintliness to those who are unsaintly. Makes them saintly. And also says, makes those who are most fallen, what to speak of everybody else, the most fallen is the worst category, right? And Prabhupada said, actually, that the worst of the devotees, we're all devotees here, those of us who are sitting with us, you couldn't come to this place. This place is called Dham. The Dham means a holy place of pilgrimage. Like that. Because the Lord is here, the devotees are here. So anybody who comes into this arena only comes in because they're invited by the Lord personally. The Lord is sitting in your heart and asks you to please come, and you came. You, you acceded to the request. So you're obviously a devotee. Prabhupada said that the worst of the devotees is still 10,000 times better than the best of the karmis. The karmis are described as those who like to really enjoy their lives to the hilt, you know. Have a great time in their life, become rich, famous, things like that. And just enjoy their lives as great personalities who are celebrated, you know, by many people like that. So the best amongst them is 10,000 times worse than the worst of the devotees. And none of us here are the worst of the devotees. Because you can go pretty low when you become a bad devotee. <laughs> I tell you that. We're nowhere near that. Okay. And here it says that 
This Shrimad Bhagavatam will exalt even the most fallen. Exalt. Exalt means raised to the highest level. Exalt. How amazing is that, right? And so then the prayer is given that please appear in my heart, my voice with pure love. Okay, so who's going to read one page? Who hasn't read? Put your hand up. Okay. Well, you want, what, what do you want to do? You raise your hand, she raised her hand. She give it to her. You give it to her? Okay. I remember a scripture in the Bible that says all scriptures are inspired and beneficial for teaching, reproving, and setting things straight. Wow, and wonderful. it didn't say that it was just Christian Greek scriptures or Hebrew scriptures. There you go. It says all scriptures. Wonderful. Thank you. Beautiful. So just turn to any page if you like. Okay, there you go. And go ahead and read. Do you need more light? Or no. You're fine. Okay. <laughs> so start a translation yes. or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Great generals like Bhishma, Bhishma, yes. Bhishma, Drona, Karna, Bursivara. Bur <laughs> uh, Burishaba? Yes. Yeah, Burishaba. Yes. <laughs> Susara, is that right? Uh, Susarama. Susarma. Susharma. Got, <laughs> got it. Okay, you can stop there. 
We've finished the whole page. Okay, so now you can see from this one page, right? What did we get out of this? What were some of the points that came out? Some strong points that came out of this one page? No one can kill a devotee. No one can? No one can kill a devotee. No one can harm a devotee, right? You even use the word harm. Can't harm a devotee. Now, how many of us would like to be harmless in our lives? We like to be harmless, right? We don't want to be harmed by other people. And here it says, no one can harm a devotee. No one. So you, you, you have a, uh, what do they call it? Uh, in Hindi, it's kavacha. But, uh, shield. A shield. You have a shield around you that protects you. A spiritual shield that comes around you that protects you in amazing circumstances. Like, what were some of the examples of how they tried to harm some of the devotees there? What were some of the things that were said? Stomping. Yeah, stomping them. Well, an elephant, bad. right? Imagine an elephant stomping you. Uh, how are you going to save yourself now? Okay, then what else? Boiling oil. Being thrown in boiling oil. A big cauldron of boiling oil. The child, five-year-old child, is thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil. Can you imagine what would happen if you threw, just put your little finger in boiling oil, what's going to happen? Yes. I mean, you're going to go ow, ow, ow for the rest of your life, right? It's like, you know? It's not painful. It's the whole child was thrown into this boiling oil. What else was, what other things were there? Poison. Poison. How can you survive poison? By definition, poison will kill you. Okay? Thrown over a cliff. Thrown over a cliff. And this wasn't a small cliff, by the way. It was a huge cliff. Because this happened in an earlier age when people were bigger. The average height of a person was 60 feet at that time. That's the average height of a person. That's the age in which this happened. So you can imagine what the cliffs were like, right? Today, we are miniature people, six feet high. You know what I mean? At that time, a six feet tall person would be considered a midget. Like a baby would be A baby, feet. yeah, would probably be born five or six feet tall. <laughs> right. You see what I'm saying? Because if you look at a baby now, right? I mean, we're like, let's say, say we're, we're 70 inches tall, right, average. A baby is more than seven inches generally? What's the... Uh, About seven, eight. Seven, eight inches, 10%. Wait, no, no, no. 20, 20, 20, 21 inches, three times. Yeah. Three times, that's 30% of their height is as a baby, right? So a baby coming out at 60 feet, at 30% height, means 18 feet tall baby coming out. Can you imagine what that baby looks like? 18 feet tall already, you know? So the cliffs for them were very high cliffs. They're miles and miles of cliff. And he's thrown over that as a five-year-old kid. And still what happened? Nothing yes. happened to it. What else? Was, yes. it was it his father? It's his father who did it, of all people. The one person that you'd expect you to be protecting right. the baby is who? The mother and the father, right? Yeah. Imagine the mother and the father turned. In this case, was the father wasn't the mother. The mother was a very loving lady. She didn't do any harm to this person. She actually gave him a lot of love. But the father became envious. Why? Because he actually became the ruler of the three worlds. Today, there's nobody who is a ruler of even three uh, streets on this planet. I mean, rulers are finished. There's no. There's a queen in England, but she's she's not. She's the queen of nothing. Except for castle. Even the castle doesn't belong to her. Even the castle doesn't belong to her. It belongs to the government of England. You know? So um, she's just allowed to use it because she's the queen right now. It's not her property. You see what I'm saying? So point is that you can see at that time, he owned the three planetary systems. All of the hellish planets, all of the middle planet systems, and all of the heaven planets. He owned all three of them. Now he wanted the Lord's kingdom as well. So that's when he... Well, but the mistake he made was he became envious of a devotee of Krishna. And that was his downfall. Well, wasn't he also the one that had 
the wish that he could not be killed on land exactly. or in water exactly. and the day or, or the night, night or by a beast or by a human or by human by inside the house outside the house right in so the land or in the air so by weapons or by nails he he covered everything he had a you know, I like these insurance clauses mm -hmm. that say, you know, if these things happen, we're going to pay you nothing. And pretty much everything is covered in that. Yeah, There's nothing left there. Yeah, you think, what am I covered for, actually? You know? <laughs> yeah. But although he tried everything to circumvent, right. still, when it came time, yes. okay, that he couldn't die, so he thought he was invincible. He was invisible. Krishna pointed out and killed him, yeah. okay, literally, as I remember, yeah. took him. And put him across his knee. Yeah, on your knee. So it's neither on the land nor in the sky. At dusk. <laughs> okay, at dusk. Yeah. And he came in the form of half half lion. man, half lion. Half lion. So it was neither human nor an animal. Yeah. yeah. And so, could you imagine? Oh, he, 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 yeah, he did it on the dusk, which is neither day nor night. Mm -hmm. And so, I'm yeah. sure in the last uh, fleeting moments right. of his life, he must have said, Krishna, you big trickster. Yeah, <laughs> but it didn't help him. His entrails are pulled out. Yeah. And the Lord wore the entrails as his garland. You know. And after all of that, this little boy was so nice. He said, you killed my father, my Lord. I'm not happy. You killed my father. I love my father. Even after he was so cruel to him, he felt, oh, you love my father. So he said, don't worry, Berlin. I'll take care of him. I'm giving him liberation. He's fine. He's going to go back to the kingdom of God. You don't have to worry. I've taken care. I know he's your father. Because he's your father, I've taken care of him. Which is another thing. If you become a devotee, it says that 21 generations, well, some place describes 15, some 21, some 31. I'm going to take the middle one. <laughs> 21 generations of those who are relatives of us will all automatically get liberated. Just if one person becomes a devotee in any family. How powerful is becoming a devotee? Any other points that came out of that? That people can talk about. Yes. I was just thinking that um, I mean the end result of what you just described was that the, the Lord will protect everybody from harm, but it also doesn't mean that we will not be experiencing difficulties or challenges. So because Arjuna was on the battlefield being faced yes. with, um, you know, yes. people um, trying to attack him, right. and then Prahlad was. You know, he was attacked. attacked so many times. Yes. And the Lord was there to protect him. Protect yes. him. It doesn't mean that their path was just smooth and clean. There was no. That's true. Uh, that is true. That is true. Now, there is a counterpoint to that. And the counterpoint is this that when we raise our consciousness, then the smaller problems don't feel like big problems. Yeah. The, the, when we have a problem, the difficulty is when you become overwhelmed by a problem, right? Like, say, for example, we become depressed. And the depression is so strong, it overwhelms us. That's when there's a problem. Because everybody faces depression. Even the happiest person in this world has times when they are depressed. Everybody has to go through some depression in their life. Every day, pretty much. You'll feel some time and you feel, something's not going right here, something's going wrong. But when, you, when your consciousness is high, then that problem seems less important to you. It's not of such great importance. And again, I'll come back to dollars and cents, because you know, in this world, dollars and cents make the biggest sense. When you're talking dollars and cents, everybody gets it. Yeah, I get it, you know. Like, say, for example, for, for pretty much any one of us, right, if we got a, uh, you know, uh, something in the mail tomorrow that says, well, you owe a million dollars to the IRS, right, what would happen? It'd be financially devastating, right? 
I would just file bankruptcy. But even bankruptcy doesn't wipe away an IRS debt. You see what I'm saying? So that would be a problem, right? But if we were a billionaire, then would a million dollar tax your bill mean anything to us? Just like, say for example, okay, let's just say today we're earning $5,000 a month, right? Which is probably, surely people are doing more than $5,000 most cases. But say some of us, let's put it at $5,000, in my case it's much lower. But $5,000 a month, right? Okay? What's a million dollars to a billion compared to what's to $5,000? What would that figure be? Anybody know? Come on, factor of a thousand. Yeah, so it's $5, right? For a person earning $5,000 a month, would a $5 bill be a problem? It wouldn't be a problem, right? They'd probably waste $20, $50 anyway during the day. You know what I'm saying? Or in the month at least. So for, for a billionaire, they are wasting two or three million dollars, five million dollars anyway, over things they don't even need. You see what I'm saying? So if they get a million dollar bill, that's not a problem, right? So in the same way, when you raise your consciousness to a higher level, then the lower level consciousness issues don't bother us as much. We realize it's not so significant. We know we'll get past it. Like everybody gets past it, right? All of us have suffered in our lives sometime. While we were suffering, we were thinking, boy, this is gonna kill me. This is gonna kill me. And then 30 years later, you're looking back at it and you're thinking, I was nothing. <laughs> I went right past it and it was okay. I'm fine, everything was okay. You can laugh about it. But at the time, it was no laughing matter, right? Because why? At that time, it affected us severely. When our consciousness went high, now it's not affecting us as much. So the idea is that when we associate with the Lord, since the Lord comes from the highest consciousness, He pulls our consciousness up. And by pulling us up, then the difficulties we face are not actually now fatal. They're not, you know, they won't cause us to die or, you know, to commit suicide or something like that. That's the idea. So again, that, thank you, it's a very good point to make on there. So you can see, just one page, right? How much information there is, how much encouragement there is, right? Yeah. Lord is saying, don't worry, I'll take care of you. You don't have to worry. Like babies, do you think babies worry? <laughs> I think baby's worried. Baby knows my mother is there, my father is there, I've got nothing to worry about. Actually, we are, we are at our naughtiest when we were young, right? We were thinking, oh, nothing to worry about. My father is around, my mother is around, whatever I do, I'll be okay. <laughs> They'll look after me. They'll take care of me, right? That's how we felt. And our father and mother, today we realize, were not that infallible, right? <laughs> they themselves had fallibilities. But the Lord has no fallibility, zero fallibility. Is totally infallible. He's saying, don't worry. In fact, he uses the same words in Bhagavad Gita, Mahasuchara. Mahasuchara means, do not worry, don't worry. So this is the value of reading the Srimad Bhagavatam every day. We come to know these things, we become encouraged, we come in association of nice people who can actually help us out, and then we move forward in our lives like that. Anybody would like to make any points, ask anything, say anything? Yes. I was just wondering yeah, about the country. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You go ahead first. I was just wondering about the setup of the government. Was it that Hironic question who had no one stopping him? There was no like police force or. There were the demigods were there. They have a huge government system, right? Okay. But yeah, he was so what? powerful. Huh? Of what system? The demigods were there as an administrators of this world. And they're very powerful. But he was so powerful, he could defeat the demigods. 
That's how powerful he became. I mean, that's a very powerful person who can defeat the demigods. Through only Yeah, he became so powerful he could defeat the demigods. He took Krishna himself to kill him. So he took Krishna to kill him, yeah. Can you imagine how powerful he must be? And that is, they had a good fight too, by the way. It wasn't like Krishna got hold of him and immediately. Yeah, sorry? I was thinking about the fight. Yeah, I think it went on for what, 28 days or something like that. Yeah, it was a 28-day fight that they had before Krishna was able to take care of him. So you can imagine, he's no uh, wimp, you know. He's a powerful demon. <laughs> and fight with God for 28 days and hold him back for 28 days. That's powerful. <laughs> Very nice. Good. Yes. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about how you're saying how uh, how sound is like you know the you know, structural basis of everything. It was just making me think about how recently, like recently, actually, there were like a couple of incidents where where diplomats in different parts, like in China and in Cuba, were attacked by what they think were like sound. Yeah, that's devices. true. That's true. Mm-hmm. And they made them uh, deaf and things like that, made right? Them sick. Made them sick. Mm-hmm. Really sick. Like they use sound. And they couldn't even detect the sound, right? Yeah, it was like detect the sound. except for the people who were affected by yeah. it. How powerful is that, right? Yeah. So you can see they're developing this. These weapons are being created, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, and we may think, you know, we're fine sitting in the United States of America. No one is safe. The sound can come all the way from another planet to this planet and destroy us. Or to speak of from this own planet, from one country to another country. That's really close by. We're neighbors with everybody, pretty much, in this world. Yeah, the best defense we have is really in our minds. Yes. And the best defense we have is a sound that will ward off that sound, right? The sound can be defeated by sound. The sound weapon can be defeated by another sound weapon. It counteracts it. And the strongest, most powerful sound weapon is the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. It's a very powerful sound weapon. Yes. I was, was going to say that if you, if you Google, you can find that every planet in our solar system sings a song. Mm-hmm. There, there's a sound mm-hmm. that is unique for every planet that it gives off into space. Yeah. And so even the planets, I'm sure if they were ever able to translate it, it's probably singing praise to Krishna. Yeah, no, they do. <laughs> because these planets in, in, uh, in, the, in the scriptures, in the Vedic scriptures, are described as personalities. For example, planet Earth is a lady, her name is Prithvi. Her name and is what? Huh? Her name is what? Prithvi. Prithvi. And she's such a beautiful lady that Krishna had many, many planets to choose from which planet he was going to use in this material world to make his base. But he was totally enamored by the beauty of Prithvi, both in terms of her character and how beautiful she looked. And Krishna is a, he's a real sucker for beautiful girls. You know? He, like, he's a beautiful girl, he can't help himself. That's Krishna. And he was, this lady is so beautiful, and she's planet Earth. We know her as planet Earth, but she's actually Prithvi. And even in, uh, say for example, amongst the Christians, if you look at the Pope, whenever he gets off a flight or something, the first thing he'll do is he'll kiss the, uh, kiss the soil. Now, if you go back, the reason he does that is if you go back, the Bible originally was written in Greek language. Okay? And at that time, the descriptions that were given by, by Jesus when he came on this planet, which is what the Bible is based on, was based on the Vedic truths that he picked up himself from the sages in India. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And so, so he knew that the planet was actually a lady, and, was, and so he already had said that. And it was in the original Bible. But what happened was, later on, the, I think it was maybe 700, 
uh, in the year 700, or maybe 300, there was a huge meeting of all the Christian scholars. The Council of Nicaea, they changed it. There you go. Well, it was even before Jesus, Kabbalists and pagan people were practicing like similar things to the Vedas because of, yes. cause India wasn't just like located there, but no. it was like all over. It was all over. It was all part. Yeah, and then, like, right. That's what caused like a huge schism. Yes. Whenever, like there were like teachings that yes. were confirming that yes. they were right. And that, yes. And so the Christians wanted to separate themselves as a as a, yes. a spiritual uh, culture that was unique. And to make itself unique, what they did was they cut off a lot of the truths that were in the Bible, which might link the Bible with the Eastern uh, philosophy. And that, in that, they cut off the uh, part that spoke about reincarnation as well, but they forgot to cut off the people who had spoken about reincarnation. You know? Because the, according to the Bible, there's no such thing as reincarnation, and yet, St. John the Baptist says, in my last life, I was Elijah. Elijah. <laughs> they forgot to cut that part out. You see what I'm saying? Here's confirmation no. that there is reincarnation. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? So, you know, when you try to do things like that, something gives it away. The truth always comes out in the end. By the way, now it is described that 60% of Christians in the world believe in reincarnation. It's changed now. Now they believe in reincarnation because they know there's already proof. Now there's scientific proof of reincarnation. There have been studies done scientifically to show a person who they were in their previous life. And it's been tested rigorously, rigorously by science. As you know, science doesn't believe anything unless it is proved by more than one method of testing. They tested it by what they call regression analysis. They were able to, you're able to find out your next, last life. You can go to them right now and speak to them. They'll tell you who you were in your last life. And people do go and find out. Although, you know, how do you drive a car looking in the rear vision mirror? I mean, that really doesn't help you, right? Who were you in your last life? Let's talk about who am I now? And what am I going to do with myself now? Okay, what I was in my last life is good information, but how is it going to help me now? Let me do whatever I have to do now is more important than that. So now Christians accept that. They accept that uh, there is reincarnation. And, and therefore now Christians have become more, uh, as a result, uh, less violent. Before they were very violent. It was like, you know, you don't have a soul unless you don't believe in reincarnation, you don't have a soul. Now they believe, yeah, I do have a soul. All humans have a soul. But one time they used to say that I mean, if you're a Christian, you have a soul. If you're not Christian, you don't have a soul. And the same, the, the Islamists were saying the same, some of the Islamists are still saying that right now. You know? So these types of things are happening. And this is where the Shemad Bhagavatam really helps to bring clarity. It clarifies things so that, you know, we understand, okay, that's why they're doing it. We don't get angry at them because they're saying the wrong thing. We understand why they're doing it, but we stay ourselves, stay clear of these types of, uh, you know, uh, this type of ignorance. So we don't ourselves get mired in that ignorance and as a result of which start enjoying a type of bliss that is the bliss of that ignorance, you know? Which is not real bliss, but it looks like bliss, but it's not real bliss. All right, thank you very much. Uh, now it's Prashadam time? Yes? Prashadam time? Nice, wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming. Please do come every Wednesday. Actually, nice speakers here, and all of you are very nice. to meet each other and talk to each other. And thank you, Rosie, for seeing so nicely, and everybody. Uh, I'm going to take a look at that.